on these three lives. Welcome, listeners, to the 39th chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, The Conspiracies and the Left episode. As always, we're your hosts, Travis View, Julian Fields, and I am Jake Rokotansky. And you, Jake, have some issues with your nose, is it? Oh, my shit is fucked. You oh. have uh, some allergies here. Really bad allergies, uh, in case you can't tell. I've always wondered <laughs> what Q would sound like if he had allergies. Yeah, it would be like this. Dead sack. Had me a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> We're kicking off with a question. Is QAnon a far-right extremist movement? Before we jump into our exploration of the left and how it relates to conspiracy theories, we thought it important to examine the polar opposite, a conspiracy theory that has metastasized and pierced the zeitgeist in correlation with the rise of white nationalism in America. Our return guest this week is Chapel Trap House host and AOC boyfriend Matt Chrisman, who will be elucidating the relationship between conspiracy theories and political movements on the left. Plenty of interesting stuff comes up, like the science behind Alex Jones' gay frogs theory, what Operation Midnight Climax was, and how FDR's New Deal affected conspiracy theorizing. QAnon News. First up, QAnon conspiracy theory leads to the cancellation of a school fundraiser. So, uh, God damn it. So this whole story uh, started not public schools with a uh, with a James Comey tweet. So James Comey participated in the hashtag five jobs. I've had uh, Twitter meme and he listed his five jobs as one grocery store clerk two vocal solace for church weddings, three chemist four strike replacement high school teacher. And five FBI director interrupted. Can we discuss strike replacement high school yes, teacher? Yes, we could. Imagine yeah. showing off that you're a scab. I know. It's like he could have just said teacher. Just he, say teacher. Just lie. Just lie. Or, or just don't or, mention it. Don't don't add details. But he had to specify I was a teacher. But specifically, I was a scab yeah. teacher. He's like, hey, working class, you'll relate to this. <laughs> I replaced this one is... of you when you complained about not getting paid enough. <laughs> Plus, isn't is... he some richy rich boy? Like, he didn't even need to do this. He's Un- just a piece of shit. Fucking believable. This sounds like <laughs> five jobs I had over summer break uh hot dog concession stand slinger but he's like the whole point here is to seem likable and down to earth yeah and he's on his way because if you just go grocery store clerk vocal soloist for church weddings okay you're goofy chemist Chemist. oh side thing yeah and then it's just like betrayer of the working class. Like he might as well just. (laughs) and then the this fucking guy he's like he's like fbi director Interrupt. Yeah. I would have done it for longer if it wasn't for the mean, <laughs> mean, meanie. Like, shut the fuck up, dude. Like, James Comey, you girl fucked everything up. You fucked everything up. Yeah. Oh my uh, God, dude. Jake is not, doesn't just have allergies. He's also got the rabies. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was just a silly meme, but to the QAnon community, it was something deeper. So they posited that the first letter of each job listed meant something. It, it, each oh. letter was uh, G-V-C-S-F. And that's uh, actually also an acronym for the Grass Valley Charter School Foundation. Now, Oh, never mind. It's a charter school. Who gives a shit? And so the, I'm sorry. I thought it was a public school. I, I retract the oh, fact that I'm on. horrified by this. Oh, right. Yeah, no, this is taking <laughs> money away children. from a school. All right. It's a charter children. school. Charter so, schools are not like public funds. Yeah, but children but, yeah, don't but choose that they go to a charter school. Yeah. No, their shitty parents do. 
Okay, it's money for a school. Come on. Julian. I don't know. I'm gonna have to say that it's I don't a care. fundraiser for educating children. I understand it horrifies you that, that somehow I can uh, choose some schools and be like, I don't care. But I went to private schools and uh, they weren't the run by good people. The people who got money at the end of it weren't good people, and there was a lot of profit being made. This did not affect the children directly. All right, all right, guy who yeah. went to private school. Yeah, private school. Hey, hey yeah. Travis, where'd you go to school? I went to I went to uh, Fallbrook High Public School. Well, yeah. maybe. Maybe if you went to private school, you'd learn to hate these people, too. I went to a public school, which could have very well been a private school, but (laughs) it was public, which makes me better than you, so shut up. No, your parents were like, I'm better than you. We're like, this brother is worth the private school. This one's definitely one more of a public school kid. (laughs) Yeah. I joined the fucking orchestra because I couldn't play any sports. They were like... I sucked ass at sports and I played, uh, briefly played the alto sax. Uh, I played, oh my God. Okay, really? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I just wanted to horrify, you know, Travis early in the episode so he loses even more faith in me. We can continue. <laughs> okay. So uh, the Grass Valley Charter School is situated in Grass Valley, California, and it has a population of 13,000 people. The school does? The, uh, the the entire town does. Oh, wow. This is, a, this is a small school in a tiny town. So it's weird that yeah. they would fixate on this. He's given me the eyes that he's still continually judging me and that more information will be revealed <laughs> that will damn me even further. I hope it does. So the QAnon researchers suspected that Comey was signaling that a false flag attack was going to happen during the school's Blue Marble Jamboree <laughs> fundraiser, <laughs> which was slated for you? May 11th. There's going to be a false flag during the bake-off. However, uh, the decode led people across the country to contact the school which led them to cancel the fundraiser out of an abundance of caution, even though uh, police said that online threats were not credible. Yeah. Can you explain and to me, Americans, what a jamboree is again? Uh, it's a it's a get together, a celebration yeah. of time. Fun time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this it's like is like a potluck. It's like it's yeah, it's just it's just a community party. You yeah, know? but what? So what makes it a jamboree instead of a potluck or like a, a block party? A or? jamboree is more festive. It's a it's a, a yeah. coming together, if you will. Uh, so they would like put some streamers up in the trees. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's like it's, it's kind of like a, a, a village uh, party. Like yeah, a kind yeah. Of, it's, yeah. A, it's a fiesta. It's a it's a community little party. It's they fun. have this yeah. in France. It's called the kermesse, yeah. uh, and it's really fun. They have like little things where it's like, oh, you could throw the ball like here, like they'll set up little stands that are kind of like fun fair stands. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that happens that's, too. That's good. Selling it. of cookies. Yeah. Uh, a, a big kind of uh, uh, serve yourself meal. Yes. I got to say, what what a fucking I'm sorry, terrible, man. I take it all back. This sounds what, adorable. What a terrible blow to like weird kids like, you know, Tommy Tomasino who's been saving up his marbles all year. <laughs> like he's You know, that you, one do you kid. you think that, that children use marbles as currency? That one kid who's who's like collects marbles and like he's got a kind of like a, a weird dad and his dad got him into marbles and like he's kind of an outcast but like this year the marble fucking jamboree is where he gets to bring his shit show it off and people are impressed because he's Wait, got the most marbles. Is this actually marble relate, like actual marbles related? I don't think so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume that it is. I don't know anything about the actual <laughs> content of this jamboree. Yeah, uh, but uh, it it's was, the it was blue a marble jamboree. I would assume. I don't know, man. These are these marbles are, are involved. You know, these are kids today. It would be like the Greninja jamboree. <laughs> like you have yeah. to get with the times, sir. They don't use the marbles anymore. The blue marble. Well, yeah, maybe it's like the countertops. They're celebrating a nice, nice countertop. I'll look into it. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> not before the show, though. Not before the show. <laughs> after Travis. So uh, the story from a local paper has a great quote from uh, Grass Valley Police Sergeant Brian Blakemore, and here's what he said: "It's really 
based on the strange rambling conspiracy theories of this guy. It's 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 all a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, it's always great when normies get introduced to QAnon because yes. like that's the rea- the reaction. It's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, horseshit. Jesus Christ. It's like, like the Camello thing. Like we underestimate yeah. the effect of first learning about right, QAnon right. when you're sitting there in the in the booth. And by the way, you can't like go and research it or whatever. You can't like do the the. You can't check media for it. Like if you're caught in that. In that uh, trial, you would just have to rely on, you know, just being told about yeah. this shit, which is, of course. you know, horrible. Exactly. It's like, I think people like, uh, people in the QAnon community, and also this guy, he's a, he's a you know, small town cop. So statistically speaking, he voted for Trump. And um, so, and so he's, you know, reacting it with horror. The QAnon community, they underestimate just how horrified and weirded yeah. out and freaked out people are by the crazy shit they say yeah just how far they've gone yeah. so that the average person even who like is into trump but is might even be maga like or yeah. just voted like yeah i think this guy will probably oh well whatever you know for now it's still better though than obama which i don't like uh and and then yeah they, they're just told like Okay, your school was uh, closed down because they believe Hillary Clinton uh, sucks the blood of babies directly from their dead bodies. <laughs> and uh, to prevent uh, this information them. from coming out, uh, they've uh, used MK Ultra to uh, turn one of your students into a crazed shooter. So we're going to be closing the school. Uh, this comes from multiple civilian tips. And uh, what I yeah. like is that they shut down a false flag, which uh, which means that now the QAnon community is so far gone. And I've heard this kind of said that they can consider a thing that actually they agree deaths happened at. But it's still a false flag because it wasn't perpetrated by the people you think it was perpetrated by some deep state cabal that's organizing the whole thing. Yeah, that's yeah. not how false flags work. Either nobody died and you, they oh. made it up and they fucking hired like LucasArts to do the graphics. Like, right. Like the Boston bombing, if you know what I mean. Right. <laughs> Sarnev, not a flag name. has been like distorted beyond its yeah. original meaning. Sometimes it's even they call something a false flag where they sort of agree with the mainstream narrative. Like like they but but they think that it was a distraction. And right. so that's what makes it a false flag. Yeah, it insane. doesn't make any sense because, you know, it seems like originally it might have been like, oh, you're flying a false flag on your ship to like trick people. And uh, and we've gone a, a long way from that now. Yeah. Now, now it's really an Alex Jones own term and it's evolving. Yeah. Yeah. False flag. Yeah. yeah. It didn't like Joe. Didn't Joe have an interesting uh, oh, sort of definition sure. for false flag where he was like, he thinks that uh, he thinks the Holocaust is a false flag. Oh. And and his logic for that <laughs> is that. The Rothschilds were the Nazis, but the Rothschilds, don't worry, are also fake Jewish people. So, so okay, so yeah. so false flag no, no, no. can also be something that happened, <laughs> but but we were given a yeah. false sort of explanation. Yeah, for like what if it you was. think so, Angela Merkel's not Hitler's daughter, false flag. False flag. She is. She is. You just. Yeah. Don't understand all of the evidence pointing to any kind of video evidence, photo evidence, spoken evidence. All of that is false flag if it does not fit with your narrative. Word. Next up, uh, far right and anti Semitic figures banned from Facebook and Instagram. And this is uh, in QAnon adjacent news. On uh, May 2nd, Facebook announced that it was removing far-right and or anti-Semitic figures such as Louis Farrakhan, Milo Yiannopoulos, Alex Jones, Paul Joseph Watson. Bullshit. And, this is bullshit. And Laura Loomer from both Facebook and Instagram. One Unbelievable. Of these, uh, one of these is not like the others. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's yeah. like Milo, Alex, Paul, Laura, uh-huh. 
Lewis, okay. Yeah, he only look, He's not a good person, but he's, he's not alt-right. Like, yeah, that's not what not, he, that's he, not how he does his bullshit. He's not alt-right. He's not a white nationalist. He only hates Jews. <laughs> he's just an anti-Semite. Yeah, which is fine. You know, it's standard nowadays. <laughs> just a small yeah. light current of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. He called I'm Jews cool with termites. <laughs> yeah. you know, termites. So, termites. He so, uses yeah. like the old fucking he uses he goes from like the Mel Gibson playbook where he's like diamond merchants. Like yeah. the old school like <laughs> yeah. biblical yeah, like, fucking yeah. slander. Just so, total overt. Yeah. Just like, I just don't like what you guys did to the Silk Road. <laughs> it was sort of a clever PR move on Facebook's part to make sure to get rid of uh, one Farrakhan because you know it's good because yeah. he is he is a fucking overt anti-Semite. He sucks. Yeah, he sucks. Yeah, but also also you know the the constant conservative complaint is like, well, why you get rid of like uh, like right wing anti-Semites yeah. and not like Louis Farrakhan and uh, be like, oh, all right, fine, he's out and yeah. like and now you, you put you put a lot of these conservative media types in the sort of the awkward position of like defending Louis Farrakhan's right to a platform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like well, yeah, it's good. Funny. Well, he was lo- the the other seven that you banned didn't deserve it. They were like, but the one that you did, you got it right. <laughs> just the entire right, including those banned, are just like, yes, a black person got banned. <laughs> oh, damn it, me too. What? But uh, it gets even better. So, like, this caused the obviously a lot of people in conservative media were crying the censorship. They're saying big tech was uh, going too far, and uh, Trump tweeted this in response. So surprised to see conservative thinkers like James Woods banned from Twitter <laughs> and Paul Watson banned from Facebook. All right. So, so first of all, James Woods was not banned from Twitter. He was suspended for tweeting hashtag hang them all. Uh, Jesus, really? <laughs> yeah. Seems seems chill. I don't know. Right. Why did maybe he's talking about doing laundry? Yeah, he wants to do <laughs> he wants his laundry dry. Like what the what is wrong with you, Travis, that you would misinterpret James Wood on this crucial issue of laundry? <laughs> he doesn't do his own laundry. And second of all, he called Paul Joseph Watson not just a conservative, which a lot of people, you know, even like uh, on the right would take issue with, but a conservative thinker. Paul Joseph Watson was a correspondent for InfoWars, who has pushed several baseless conspiracy theories, including birtherism, Seth Rich, and even 9-11 trutherism. Trump later retweeted Paul Joseph Watson twice, the Canadian far-right political activist Lauren Southern, and the QAnon account Deep State Exposed. I think this is the fourth or fifth time Trump has retweeted a QAnon Twitter account, if you're counting quote tweets. Yeah. Hells yeah. So, uh, our, our king. It was like, yeah, it was... Uh, I, it was it's so insane that I, I checked who else like uh, um, Trump has called a thinker on Twitter and is it's also he's also called Newt Gingrich and um, and uh, Candace Owens thinkers. So so he's very selective about who he calls thinkers. But that's basically the club. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's basically if you say Trump is good and that the media lies, right. you are a great thinker. Of course, if you co- say Trump is good on a on a big enough platform. That's it. It's whoever yeah. he sees on the TV, guys. Right. Yeah. Also, of course, Internet Paul Joseph Watson, not a U.S. citizen, not an American, mm. doesn't even live in this country. He Incredible lives... that Travis is a nationalist. Well, I mean, it's like he's <laughs> it's curious. Yeah, maybe that's how the much how just, much yeah. care Trump is paying attention to the treatment of a foreigner. It just strikes me as a little bit out of character. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he didn't want to look like he was like Jock and James Woods too much. So he's like, oh, I'll throw in another guy. I don't know. <laughs> Paul Joseph Watson, he, he always appears in front of that fucking like map of the world i think he's handsome <laughs> i think you deserve the silence right now <laughs> well, you just deserve so well. much silence i want to i want i want if you're a listener out there 
and you know what shipping is. Get that shipping going. Joseph Watson, Jake, <laughs> kissing. Stubble meets stubble. Hey, wait a minute. What's shipping? Never mind, buddy. It's a kid's thing. Oh. Is QAnon a far-right extremist movement? With Travis View. So uh, for my section, I initially read through a bunch of Q drops and attempt to like understand their actual political point of view. Like, you know, what is their attitude towards the left who they consider to be their political enemy? How they think about class and power? And what do they believe is like the proper role of government? But I gave up because so much of it is either not well-defined or incoherent. And I, and I think the reason for this is that QAnon is an extremist movement, so it's not meant to be coherent to an outsider like me. So instead, uh, I want to make the case that QAnon is, in fact, a far-right extremist movement. Uh, so I, calling QAnon extremists, I think, is a serious thing. I'm not, I'm not taking this lightly because it, it lumps them in with like explicitly violent and murderous movements like ISIS and white nationalism. So uh, to get a grip on what extremism means, I'm going to turn to J.M. Berger, who is an associate fellow at the International Center for Counterterrorism, and is widely considered to be a leading expert on this subject. He wrote a short but clarifying book on what extremism is and how it works, titled simply Extremism. 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 So here is J.M. Berger's broad definition of extremism. Extremism refers to the belief that an in-group success or survival can never be separated from the need for hostile action against an out-group. The hostile action must be part of the in-group's definition of success. Hostile acts can range from verbal attacks and diminishment to discriminatory behavior, violence, and even genocide. So I think it's pretty obvious that QAnon satisfies this definition. They're, they imagine that a great awakening can only happen after mass arrests and possibly executions of their political enemies. Right. It's, like it's, it's one after the other. Uh, they never talk about in terms of like winning over their opponents, overpowering them through normal democratic processes, or even living uh, peacefully alongside their opponents. Q always promises the complete destruction and ruin of anyone who stands in their way. Uh, for example, a July 2018 Q drop uh, said this. You are witnessing, watching the systematic destruction of the old guard. Power will return to the people. Q. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> destruction of the old guard. <laughs> Fucking! This is some. Uh, this is some. This is like some Marvel Aven bullshit. Yeah, this is yeah. some Avengers shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. dude, just in time for Endgame, it's man. Exciting. It's he's exciting. on brand. He's on point. He's got his popcorn. <laughs> he's going to watch Hulk smash. I, I have a question. Is there any like kind of aesthetic or even content difference between Endgame and the Final Solution? Because they sound incredibly similar they to do. me. Well, well, do you have anything to say about this? Jake? I mean, you yeah. represent Hollywood like you're kind of. Well, I guess it's kind of like reverse because like Endgame yeah. is like they have to bring the people who have disappeared yeah. back. OK, OK. So this would kind of be like if the Nazis like at the end of the hall at the end of the first movie of the Holocaust. At the end of the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Like the Reichstag I'm burning so sorry. and the fucking beer hall poots? <laughs> I take that fucking back. But if I were to continue with the analogy. Please go on. The second movie would be like, you know, if, you know, Hitler was still alive and he was like, we've got to bring the Jews back. What? Oh, because he realizes they could like be his And then he's, And army? then the music is like. Da, 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 da. 
And uh, okay, so what about the big purple guy? Is he Hitler? Who's the big purple? Oh, Thanos? Yeah, whatever. I'd say he's more of a magenta. Uh, by the way, all I'm doing here is just trying to profoundly trigger everyone in our Discord who, <laughs> who has picked characters and cares about this stuff. Guys, I love you. I, I'm just I'm just messing around. So in that Q drop, the old guard is the out group, and they need to be destroyed uh, for the success of the in group, which is the people, they imagine. Right. So um, the fact that QAnon followers uh, see hostile action as necessary would explain why uh, they see hostile action by itself as worthwhile. For example, take uh, Operation Mayflower, which we talked about in our Digital Soldiers episode. So this was an organized social media harassment campaign that encouraged QAnon followers to tweet memes at a designated target on Twitter, like Hillary Clinton, for example. They even, uh, even though the, the harassment campaigns did not accomplish anything in the real world, they still found it worth celebrating. If you know, because if hostility is necessary, then any act of hostility, even ultimately ineffective acts of hostility, are treated like some kind of victory. Right. This uh, is very interesting, and, and I, I, I want to ask you a question, actually. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, when he did his examination of extremism, was there any kind of taking into account and parsing more tricky events, like, for example, the French Revolution or the Bolshevik Revolution, where it's true that a large amount of the population mobilized around a common enemy mm. and, you know did offensive things to them. Is that is that also considered an extremist movement? You know, um, he gave the example of, uh, I don't think he talked about the French Revolution. Again, I've read like a few articles and a book from this guy, so yeah, yeah, yeah. hardly an expert. But he did talk about the Civil War. And, okay. and, and so 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 the Confederate Southern, Southerners, he gave an example. It's like, well, they were, they met all the definitions of extremists. Okay. And this is sort of a broad, you know, society-wide kind of extremism. So it can happen in a sort of a mass revolutionary way. But not the nor not the north um no well no no he didn't get he yeah it's interesting if i were to posit for the french revolution i would say at first not necessarily an extremist movement and then the great terror was the extremist movement of the revolution yeah, where they yeah, started yeah, you know decapitating right. people and robespierre and all that shit um but yeah interesting either way Let's well and i think i mean the question that we're we're sort of discussing is you know is QAnon a far right extremist so i think that one no, could I, I one could argue that extremism it could be bipartisan uh it, it can be and the question is then yeah what's what what's considered an extremist group that seems to like you said kind of celebrate the other person's pain just for the sake of it not for the yeah. sake of societal change or anything yeah yeah like like hostility is the goal like like yeah. what, what's important is the hostility not sort of like any sort of real world end result they right. just they just believe that there's a need to be hostile in order to achieve success right so like the rewriting of the constitution and a profound change in the in the kind of like form of government unless it's literally saying no we're going to target the people who you know represent it and try to identify to some sort of racial group or some sort of specific kind of group, yeah. then it would be still considered essentially a political movement that became violent. It's a tricky one, isn't it? it? Is, like it's, is. it you is know, an interesting thing. Yeah, it's really tough. Uh, I mean, the the I mean, the book extremism is like you can tell that he's he is he is trying to thread the needle mm. in order to very carefully define what extremism is and how it is how it is distinct in these very subtle but really crucial ways yeah, from other course. sort of just uh, political movements or even sort of like pedestrian bigotry. Yeah, how they these are these are different things. So it's okay. very very interesting. So central to this uh, definition of extremism is the, the concept of an in-group and the out-group. Now, like defining your personal in-groups and out-groups is like a normal part of being a social human. 
But uh, usually there's a lot of fuzziness and gray areas in terms of like who's part of your club and who isn't. You know, maybe you identify as a Bostonian and you really hate those New Yorkers. But maybe you meet a New Yorker and you discover that they're you're both fans of the San Diego based indie rock band Pinback. So Man, they remember really your, speaking to our youth demographic. I, I, well, I, yeah, well, I guess not. <laughs> so they're a member of your out group in some sense, but not others. Not only that, uh, your in-group and out-group tends to be in flux. It, you know, it changes over time. Uh, maybe you move to Boston. Instead, you become a fan of the San Diego-based indie rock band Rocket from the Crypt. I don't know that one. Uh, well, they're, they're pretty good. But extremist movements can't tolerate fuzzy, changing definitions of in-groups and out-groups. So here's Berger again. The subjectivity and changeability can make it very difficult to determine who's in your in-group and who's out. Extremist movements are overwhelmingly concerned with taking the subjectivity out of that question. They seek to eliminate gray areas. So, I mean, again, this is QAnon to a T. QAnon divides everyone in the government to white hats and black hats. And in fact, this might explain why they had so much trouble trying to figure out whether Mueller was a white hat or a black hat. And this you know, is where they fuck up because they, they basically they want a revolution, but they won't accept that there's a petty bourgeoisie that's going to help them get there. They're just yeah. like, no, nah, it's just us and them. Yeah, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's it's just the armchair laziest revolution. They think they they don't want to actually have to do anything. The lazy boy revolution. <laughs> uh, the the extremist world. So so the extremist worldview doesn't allow for something more neutral, like thinking that Mueller is just a cop doing a job he was assigned. The need to eliminate gray areas in QAnon, I think, explains why Democrats, the mainstream media. Uh, the Rothschilds, Antifa, John McCain, even the Catholic Church are kind of lumped together in one gigantic web. They're just part of one big outgroup. And members of this outgroup are like connected, even when it doesn't make sense. For example, take the absurd notion that John McCain supported ISIS. You know, and really, McCain yeah. was, was one of the earliest senators who called for U.S. military action against ISIS. I mean, you, you could call McCain a lot of things, but some sort of like soft yeah. dove is not, is not one of them. But when the, when the Pope was spotted at a DSA meeting, right. now that was something. Yeah, so if you're a QAnon follower who supports both aggressive U.S. military action against ISIS and you also oppose the establishment Republicans, this creates an intolerable gray area because you're extremist. You can't just go, I hate John McCain, except for his support of U.S. military action against ISIS. I support that. That's just too much complexity for you. That's true with like the Julian Assange and Snowden thing. They, they can't be like, well, Snowden's a bit of a, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or like, oh, I didn't really like. It's like Snowden's a traitor. Julian Assange is a hero. Yeah, it's it's very simple. It's very clean. They, they extremists need to be able to you know, put people in just. Uh, you sort of like well-defined, well sort of separated categories. Yeah, right. Because if you if you open the door for uh, critical analysis and being able to judge one action and and excuse another, uh, then you have to do it for everybody. And so then everybody then it opens the possibility for them capable of doing good, which destroys your entire fucking uh, agenda. This is where I kind of feel for them because the field of knowledge and just the general media output is so fucking huge, so massive, the volume and just the differences between all the different pieces of content and how they really posit totally different worldviews. I can understand how that's incredibly disorienting for someone who's lived their whole life with a kind of monolithic culture, somewhat. Yeah. And they're just like, I don't understand it. So then suddenly they're like, well, we have to split them into heroes and villains. Like, there's just no way around that. It's not helped by the fact that all the fiction they watch all day and shit like Fox News is doing exactly that. Right. 
So according to Berger, uh, this tendency to demonize outgroups with fiction is another characteristic of extremists. Here's what he says. Members of an in-group directly experience their personal beliefs and current practices. In contrast, information about out-groups' beliefs and practices includes a mix of truth, interpretation, and fiction. Uh, as a movement shifts towards extremism, this mix may shift toward fiction and become more toxic, aggressively highlighting negative data points and ignoring or rebutting positive data points. Berger also talks about how extremists believe that the continued existence of the outgroup threatens the in-group. As extremist identities are constructed, the in-group begins to see the out-group as an unmitigated threat to its legitimacy. This threat creates a crisis, a pivotal event that requires an active response from the in-group. The extremist in-group offers a solution consisting of hostile actions against an out-group in an effort to resolve the crisis. This is the extremist value proposition. The extremist um, sort of worldview, it's a sales pitch. It's like buying, you know, Coke, you know, <laughs> like it's like you're, you're, you're thirsty, you want to be refreshed. Here's your solution, buy a refreshing Coke. It's like here's this, this out-group that's threatening you. you. You get sold on the idea that this, this out-group is, is a threat to your way of life. So like being. firebomb Pepsi. So, right. And so and so and then they they sell you on the problem and they sell you on the solution, which is these hostile actions. Mm -hmm. So Berger identifies five different crisis narratives, impurity, conspiracy, dystopia, existential threat and apocalypse. Now, I would argue that all five of these kinds of narratives are a part of QAnon. But I want to zero in on three, conspiracy, dystopia and apocalypse. By the way, these five things I would just argue are the bio of our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Um, wait, I have a really quick question, actually, before impurity, we dive into Impurity, of course, because we have Jake among us. Is, <laughs> shut up. Is there, uh, is there a difference? Because if you look at QAnon, the, the guy who's making the posts, he's never saying uh, you need to go out and you need to snuff these people out. He's saying, don't worry, you sit and do nothing. You sit and, and message each other on Facebook Instant Messenger and, and post in the comments section we will carry out the violence. We're the ones that don't worry. It's exactly. already underway. Does that um, differentiate them uh, them in any way? Would you think according to Berger based on the fact that he's not saying, Hey, Travis, you go out and kill Hillary Clinton as opposed to he being like, don't worry, I'm working on killing Hillary Clinton and it's all good. The only like action that Q demands of QAnon followers is like posting and memeing. Yes. And, yeah. and to believe, you know, to, Be to, to, to believe, to believe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, like, have faith and get the word out. Yeah. It's like, it's, your job is to awaken the normies basically by posting over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it's like, it's like, is that, is that different from other? It's actually, it's actually not. So I'm going to like, we're going to talk a little bit about how some sort of extremist movements actually uh, encourage inaction because it, that's how you sort of like. Yeah. Sure, Interesting. You, okay. We'll you, get to it. You can get, you can get sort of yeah. more people that way. Your enemy is your digestive system. You need to eat a fuck ton of hamburgers <laughs> also your enemy is your family and all your friends you need to damage your own life don't firebomb your family don't forget the chair that's uncomfortable when you sit in it <laughs> your wife is really kind of a bitch isn't she <laughs> so here's how Berger says that extremists use conspiracy theories Conspiracy theories are among the most powerful and ubiquitous tools that extremist ideologies use to explain real or perceived problems afflicting the in-group, attributing them to secret machinations uh, by a powerful cabal of elite out-group members. There we go. Yes, yes, I mean, perfect. that's it. It's a, he describes like a cabal. This is like, you know, this yeah. is like QAnon. This is 100% QAnon. 
Yeah. So um, here's how Berger says that fear of dystopia can drive extremism. In extremist dystopian narratives, the corrupt regime favors outgroups and disadvantages in groups, often reflecting or fictionalizing conspiracy theories in a vivid format. That is a sentence that I have no idea what I just read. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in the QAnon, there's this dystopian narrative that's the 16-year plan to destroy America. Okay, right, yes. Yeah. So they believe that Hillary Clinton conspired to create a plot that would favor the elites and immigrants, essentially. That's essentially. such. Why both of those? They're so opposite. Well, you you would think, but I mean, I mean, a lot yeah. of these people think that you know uh, that that you know the elites are above them in society, yeah. and immigrants are below them, and so they're going to favor both those those yeah, those, yeah. those two groups and not me, the regular yeah, American. Any, anybody who's not you. Had Hillary Clinton been elected, they would have had finished executing this plot, with which would have led to the down fall of the United States. So um, here's how Berger describes one way that extremist movements use apocalyptic narratives. Millenarian apocalyptic movements believe that the end of the current age of history is fast approaching, a narrative typically predicated on prophecy. This climax brings a cosmic wave destruction, usually related to an apocalyptic war between the chosen in-group and a demonic out-group, after which a perfect and utopian society will emerge. So th this is basically QAnon's The Storm and The Great Awakening. Yeah, totally. So what's interesting is that Berger says that for extremist movements that emphasize apocalyptic narratives, believers don't even have to do anything. Ah. Here's what he says. For apocalyptic and millenarian adherents, the solution can be simpler still. Sometimes they only have to show up. Believers are mandated to take part in a cataclysmic event whose conclusion and aftermath are divinely ordained. The leader of some apocalyptic groups may still make strategic choices, as Islamic State did in 2016 when it backed away from a prophesized battle it had previously promoted. But at the level of most adherents, participation is the primary requirement. So, yeah, I mean, in this case is like participation through like posting and memeing. You just have to sit there and like watch and he's like he's describing like uh, like how most, you know, layman, I guess, QAnon followers basically behave. So this is why I, I think it's it's fair to describe QAnon as an extremist movement. It's not hyperbole. Yeah. You know, if you if you sort of like read the book and you read the sort of the very careful definitions that yeah. Jay and Berger lays out, it ticks off all the boxes. You know, yeah. so the the QAnon people think that immigrants are other. They do think that immigrants are other. They they sort of basically believe that. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton is sort of like, you know, far above them in the sort of the, yeah. the sort of the, the, the class structure and immigrants are far below. And so Hillary Clinton was plotting a sort of a, a way to benefit everybody except them, the yeah. people who are both above and below them in sort of the class structure. Well, and that, that really that really makes the uh, that uh, Weird Al version of the right stuff. What's in the middle? Oh, yeah. The white stuff. Uh, it's just right. Yeah. Wow, that really is. I hope you outro the episode with that with that song. I will actually outro the episode with that Weird um, Al song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what's you know what's interesting is it's actually um you know in regards to immigrants I it you know it's it goes even further than that it's it's that I see all these guys on vote you know what they think is that it's it's not even that Hillary Clinton you know supposedly uh, would have you know 
taken care of of immigrants because she wants to alienate middle class white dudes. It's that she needs them to get votes that that it Uh, is that instead of that, it has nothing to do with compassion. Of course, you couldn't you couldn't assign any kind of uh, humanitarian sort of uh, uh, compassion to, you know, an elite cabal uh, leader, if you will. But instead, it's that without them, they would be powerless. That's right. That and and what it what it actually really is beneath one layer of that is this fucking inherent racism that anybody that is an immigrant or you know comes yeah. from a place of poverty and lack of opportunity that they are incapable of being the sort of masters of their own destiny without an elite leader sort of glad handing them a, you know any kind of progress there's, or whatever. There's two different things also uh, also at work here. One of them is this idea that like the Jewish people, this elite cabal is like basically funneling in these mongrel races that are kind of you know making the co- the country less pure. But then there's also the inability to understand that because of the economy and how things are going, if you're a lower class white person in America, you're essentially an immigrant in your own country. Like you don't own anything. Like you're treated like absolute shit. Yeah. Your opportunities are all like terrible, low paying, way below what the international like uh, living wages for like uh, developed nations. So it, it's really funny. And like, that's it. It's like, what what separates us? Well, fine. It'll have to be race. It'll have to be race. Uh, you know, it's very convenient. Yeah, I mean, I think that on an even deeper level, it's uh, it's like for some people, it it buys it plays into this uh, sort of great white nationalist great replacement theory. Yes, where it's like it's not it's not just it's that it's that obviously you're right. The theory the theory is that Hillary Clinton is being self serving in sort of bringing these yeah. immigrants over, but the, also that these immigrants are not just sort of like adding democratic votes; they're replacing the white people basically yeah right and uh yeah so that's so that's yeah. the sort of like the, sort of like the, the sort of like the, uh, the ugliest level of and uh, that and, kind of and and even and yeah and and going back to sort of what i was saying earlier it's like you know immigrants are they're too stupid to realize that the elite ruling class is is using them to mm. to stay in power and and so it all really just ties down into this the same old bullshit that we always find ourselves in once we peel back all the layers of this nonsense. You know, it's really funny. It's like two of the group that have been emphasized by this weird Koch brother dark money is that, for example, there are two groups that the Republicans, I think, have given up on kicking out of the country. One of them is black people. And the other one is gay people. And so they're like, well, gays for Trump. Well, Blexit. Well, like they start pouring money into trying to unstick these groups from voting consistently Democratic. Right. Um, so it's it's interesting to see the levers there and be like, well, they were immigrants like, we can still keep out. Like yeah, I think it, we can still argue that they're like the floodgates are open. We already have too many homosexuals and too many <laughs> African Americans. Like it's they've already gotten through. Like all that we can do is try to turn them. Homosexuals are uh, the immigrants of gender. <laughs> it's really a stretch. Julian Fields' next book. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Matt Chrisman is one of the hosts of Chapo Trap House, and more importantly, a repeat guest on the show. He recently recorded an episode of Chapo called The Inebriated Past, American Conspiracies, that I thought was interesting for obvious reasons. Welcome back on the podcast, Matt. Thanks for having me, you guys. Before we jump into the serious stuff, can you catch us up on any beefs with the QAnon community? Uh, I know you mentioned that the guy you had originally had a bet with, like, perhaps deleted his account already? (laughs) 
He deleted his account. Uh, no, he, he protected his account. Then he changed his handle. Uh, but now he's back and has blocked me. He's unlocked. It's very frustrating because I want to, I honestly want to just do a screenshot of his handle and be like, everyone harassed this man <laughs> because he told me with total confidence that by the end of January, all the deep state pedos would be in jail. And, and then I know it was, I think it was January 15th. He said, January 15th, you idiot. And then on the night of the 14th, he had blocked me and protected his account. Yes. Which means he clearly was aware that he had uh, promised more than Q and those guys <laughs> could deliver. But uh, I I, and that annoyed me because I wanted to harass him. And so I kind of forgot about him. And then I was like, hey, let me check that guy again. And he had changed his name. Uh, he's now Eric Cohn SEO, I think. Uh, and But he's not protected anymore, but I am blocked by him. So I cannot personally own him over it, but it also feels petty to, you know, create some sort of uh, pile on. I like that he waited till like the night of the 14th. Like I, I just imagine him sitting by his computer being like, come on, come on, arrest. And then like the clock like tick- waiting for it. Yeah. Like, just like on white hats. What are you doing? Like fucking just like Groundhog Day. Like the clock ticked from like, you know, uh, uh, 559 a.m. to like 6 a.m. And he was like, all right, fuck it. It's a go. And just like started scrambling and deleting all his shit. Yeah. I like that. You didn't but even I wait. I looked at until- his account through an incognito uh, window. And he's still retweeting Q stuff. Yeah. So he did not lose his faith, but he doesn't want me to own him about it, of course, because he's a coward. Yeah. So could you explain to us, uh, moving on now, how the ups and downs of the left and the labor movement in particular affect conspiracy theorizing in America? I don't think you could track it or anything on a chart, but I think in general, what what happens is, is that the degree to which there is an ambient sense of class awareness in society, in, the, in, in America specifically, uh, that that takes some energy and some fuel away from the sort of pop culture ephemeral conspiracy theorizing that you see and, and can kind of keeps it on the right. Because the right will always be conspiratorial because without class as a rubric for understanding why things happen, they are left always to have to explain things with conspiracies. But there's a broader strata of people who aren't necessarily ideologically committed uh, and the degree to which class is a a concept that people are conversant in is the degree to which it can give those people or a larger percentage of those people an an alternative explanation for the the world around them uh, to then the the sort of pop conspiracy stuff. And And as class consciousness sort of evaporates, that hole, that vacuum gets filled with conspiracy. So since we have been in a, in a dire situation with regards to the left and certainly the organized left uh, 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 in terms of unions and labor and stuff, for going on 40 years now, uh, that's why you've seen a sort of ambient conspiracy theorizing replace uh, class analysis to explain the situations in the world around them. And then, of course... Adding the internet to that has exacerbated and um, made all that metastasize much even more so than it would have had otherwise. Yeah, you've argued that class consciousness is kind of the opposite of conspiracy theorizing. And so that would kind of track with um, the breaking down of the labor movement in the aftermath of the New Deal. You mentioned the New Deal, actually. Uh, how, how has 
the New Deal affected conspiracy theorizing in general? Uh, well, during during the height of the New Deal, you didn't really see any. The conspiracy theorizing was very much constrained to the uh, extreme right, uh, and it was before the World War II. Uh, it was uh, explicitly anti-Semitic. After World War II, more covertly anti-Semitic, but all of it based around the idea of communist infiltration into the government that was making the New Deal happen. But for people who were benefiting broadly from the New Deal, those sort of uh, conspiracy appeals didn't have any purchase. And all, and because people who the, – the, the government figures like FDR and stuff were willing to point their finger at uh, malefactors of great wealth – and at uh, at you know wealthy interests and at, at and at uh, capital, uh, there there was no there was no impetus, uh, and it was only sort of as that uh, coalition broke up and as the policy portfolio began to be eroded, that uh, that that as I said that vacuum opened up and and which was filled with with more conspiracy theorizing, which might not explicitly be as right wing as. John Birch stuff in the 50s, but which has a cumulative effect of being reactionary because it denies class analysis and, and replaces it with this narrative, this, this story, uh, something that they, people get from television and get from movies that, that defeats a real understanding of the world around you. And also never – the real problem with conspiracy theorizing is that the solution to it can never be the sort of mass – class-based organization that uh, is the solution to problems uh, when you have a class analysis. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Uh, and you've also actually mentioned, you know, kind of more on the left, how government programs in the 60s and 70s, like MKUltra and COINTELPRO, that, that, you know, I mean, certainly as far as COINTELPRO goes, it was aimed at the left, at, at um, civil rights movements, etc., and so you think that these gave somehow credence to conspiracy theorizing in general, especially for people on the left. Could you could you explain that? Well, the sixties saw you saw you could have argued from one perspective sort of a high modern mark of, of of leftist organizing, but in terms of the new left and and you know this huge swath of of uh, the young people being mobilized against the war and for civil rights and things like that. But at the same time, you were seeing the class. Uh, the class aspect of the left being eroded because a lot of uh, people who were broadly on uh, working class uh, were became alienated from that left. Uh, they, they didn't have the same, uh, necessarily the same uh, agenda. Uh, and there was no real connective tissue between the, uh, the, student movement and the labor movement. In fact, there was a lot of tension there. And that tension ended up leading towards a dissolving of the the momentum of the of the entire left. And if you, you can define the left from, you know, like the great society liberals to the most uh, fringe Maoist sect. Uh, but what really helped that along, though, is so you have at the at two things happening simultaneously. One is the the, the left kind of coming apart and at the same time, you have this wave of assassinations and documented government interference in the left, which created a sense of paranoia by the 70s, a sense of paranoia and hopelessness. The idea that anything that you try to do uh, 
to oppose power will be inherent will be necessarily defeated by these shadowy forces who are able to marshal uh, assassins and 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 spooks to to undermine your movements from within to spy on you and to have you killed if necessary so Cointel Pro, I know that they targeted, you know, the Black Panthers. It was obviously the killing of Fred Hampton, but they also identified and, and infiltrated labor movements and student movements. Do you think this has anything to do with the dissension between those groups, or was it more a question of identifying those frictions and exploiting them? I think it was mutually reinforcing because those frictions existed, but they were absolutely at every point exacerbated by government interference. And you could ask, like, would the, the material and cultural lay of the land have inevitably led to the breakdown you had anyway, or, or was it made inevitable by the intervention of the government? And that's, that's, yeah, I don't know if you can answer that question. And I think that is one of the things that leads to conspiracy thinking because, because you know that that element has infected your movement. How are you ever going to be able to determine what you would have done otherwise what would have been, what was the defining moment? What was the real, uh, you know, uh, what, were, what were the things that determined the outcome? You'll never know. And so everything is tainted. Nothing can ever be trusted. Nothing can ever be effective. And, that, and, that, and so regardless of how effective COINTELPRO was specifically in breaking up organizations that might have broken up otherwise, who knows, by creating the public awareness of that government role, it had the prolonged and profound impact of making all organizing suspect uh, and uh, harder to believe in. So basically, they kind of injected some of these movements with conspiratorial thinking, pushing them into a place where they were like, well, no, actually, there is a shadowy cabal that's out to get us. And that creates a kind of paranoid mind state that ca can still generate um, quite a bit of conspiracy-like thinking on the left uh, that is, you know, kind of like a, on a macro level, not just like, oh, yeah, some of the, you know, like there's, you know, this or that uh, might be going wrong, but like on a bigger level, society and these spooks and the government are all controlling us. And having that happen simultaneously with the collapse of power, labor power, that really is the, that, those are reinforcing dynamics. That's the, that's the vicious spiral. That, that's the death spiral there. Those two things reinforce each other to oblivion because even if we have a government that is capitalist, even if we have a government, that capitalist government that has having uh, an intelligence network and intelligence communities, a deep state, if you will, uh, determined to prop it up outside of the democratic framework and outside of public scrutiny, there's still only way to defeat that is through organizing, even if that's true. And it, and it largely is. We know, I mean, you can, a, a world where Fred Hampton was assassinated by uh, the FBI and a world where Fred Hampton and Martin Luther King are both assassinated by the FBI, it, uh, it's not that much, they're really just degrees, right? Like, so we know as a baseline where we stand in terms of having this hostile uh, deep state that that's committed to preventing revolutionary change in this country. But even with that being the case, organizing is the only opposition to it. And as the organs of working class power lost influence, lost cohesion in the 60s and 70s, to find out at the same time that you have these uh, intelligence networks in this deep state, that's just deeply, deeply dispiriting and, and enervating to everyone involved.
because you don't even have a fully cap capacious working class organization to go against it. So that means that that reinforces cynicism and atomization and that idea that, well, all we can really do is document this stuff. And that's the real thing about conspiracy culture. And that's what makes it um, reactionary inherently is that the culture around conspiracy theories is one of documentation and observation beyond anything else. Like that, like look at QAnon. Like all it is, is posting to some degree, you know, either mimeographed stuff that you put under somebody's windshield or tweets or anything. It all comes down to, I will bear witness to this. I will personally connect these dots, but the next step of, well, okay, what now? I don't think that that ever really enters into it. And because of that, focusing on the intelligence networks, focusing on the deep state, that becomes sort of the inevitable result of people on the left trying to figure things out in the absence of a powerful labor movement. Yeah, that makes sense. On a bit of a lighter note, could you tell us a bit more about Operation Midnight Climax? Okay. <laughs> so this is the kind of shit that makes, when you find out about it, is really is what makes you think, well, maybe all of this is true. Maybe everything's true. Maybe there are Nazi uh, saucers under the Antarctic, you know? <laughs> like, maybe every crazy thing anyone's ever said is true, because if this is true, then what, what are the limits? So people are largely familiar by this point with uh, MK Ultra, which was a comprehensive program the CIA had in the 50s and 60s to study. It's usually connected with LSD, but LSD was just a part of it. It was a broader, uh, it was a broader program that came out of the Korean War. Uh, the Korean War saw a number of American servicemen uh, captured by North Korea or by the, Chi the Russians or the Chinese, who then, in captivity, were recorded denouncing the United States, embracing communism in a way that made people believe that they had been brainwashed. That's where the concept of brainwashing comes from, is the Korean War. And the, 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 the uh, CIA, which very well might have been using biological weapons during Korea at the same time, uh, thought, well, okay, that's what they're doing. We got to do that too. And so MKUltra was a bunch of programs and a bunch of different, involving a bunch of different hospitals, research facilities, and doctors uh, trying to figure out how to suggest things to people and make them maybe do things, but also how to, uh, how to break down people under interrogation, how to get people to talk, basically. And the LSD was one of the, one of the chief uh, elements of the research program. They were using, uh, there were other drugs involved. There was a lot of use of uh, hypnotism, but LSD was one of the one of the ones that they got the best results with in terms of undermining people's will, I guess you'd say, undermining their resistance to suggestion and interrogation. And one of the, and they so they did a ton of stuff, including drugging Frank Olson, a CIA chemist, and having him jump out of a window, which was documented in the great Errol Morris documentary Wormwood. But one of the ones they did is that they took up shop in I believe it was a San Francisco bordello, uh, and put two lay mirrors into the rooms, put cameras behind the mirrors, paid the prostitutes to, uh, after their sessions with their clients, to put LSD in their drinks, and then they recorded what happened. They recorded what someone being dosed with LSD without their knowledge does. Uh, and that's so insane that you're, you just kind of, your jaw drops and you think like the U.S. government had no compunction about just 
sticking their finger in their citizens' brains and swirling it around and seeing what happens. What we know about Midnight Climax is actually kind of funny because like with a lot of CIA programs around that time, the, the efficacy, the, the results are, are not really clear. We don't know if they actually got any actionable information out of any of that. It was kind of just an excuse for a lot of CIA guys to get high and uh, have sex with uh, uh, sex workers and basically just do like frat hijinks, sort of like Revenge of the Nerds CIA guys. I know, and they didn't even give it like a you know like a surreptitious name. It's like midnight climax. No. You pump, you dump, yeah. and then you get drugged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, operation. Yeah, operation. Drop your nut. Staying on a bit of a light note, uh, you you kind of explain in the episode briefly that uh, aliens and Jewish people somehow have this kind of. Uh, similar role in certain conspiracy <laughs> theories. Could you explain this? Well, the thing about a conspiracy theory is that, like with any, with any, because it's a narrative, it has to have characters, it has a villain, obviously, or a group of villains, and then villain needs a motivation. Uh, and the problem is, is that if you analyze human behavior through a lens of motivation, you will end up at Marxist analysis. You'll end up at class analysis. You'll end up with oh, people doing this are people with power and influence, and they're doing it to maintain their power and influence. Uh, but conspiracy theory with its allergy to class analysis can't do that. It has to personalize things. It has to give motives to the forces that are seeking to destroy. But they can't be recognizable. They cannot be human motives because then you just get to material analysis again. It has to be an otherworldly alien force whose desires are not to be comprehended by us because they're not like us. How could we know why they wanted to do anything? They aren't us. They're, they're a force. And traditionally, Jews have been that force. The 20s saw the, the development of the original Nazi analysis of Jewish influence in the world, which is still currency on the right, which is that the Jews are in charge of, the Jews are in charge of both uh, the rapacious finance capital that was destroying the world uh, uh, when, during the Great Depression uh, and the uh, Bolshevik response to it. And... That doesn't make sense if you if you think about things in any kind of coherent, you know, system of benefits and whatever. Well, you know, what about all the 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 all that finance, wealth, and capital that was denied and and destroyed by the Soviet Union? If you are a finance capitalist, you wouldn't like that. Well, not if your desire is to base, is to just destroy society, uh, and that's what the Jews want. They want to destroy society. I think they would get if you really tried to push them on it because they can't be part of it, because they are aliens to the West, because they are aliens to our culture, because they're aliens to it, they're, they want to, if they can't have it, they can't be part of it, they'd rather destroy it. And in the 90s, which was a heyday of conspiracy theories, uh, anti-Semitism was no longer something you could publicly talk about. And, and so the part of the Jew was replaced by the alien. And, but the position is the same narratively. It's a it's a creature or a force outside of human understanding yep. whose desires are not human desires and who wants to destroy us for their own totally inscrutable ends. And William Cooper's book, uh, 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 Behold a Pale Horse, which is one of the ur texts of 90s conspiracies uh, theorizing with aliens and stuff, is really po is explicit about that. He includes in his book, in that book, he has a big chunk of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion in it. But before he publish, before he presents it, he has a note that says, "This is what they're doing." But you have to, in your head, replace every mention of 
like the, the, the elders or whatever with aliens, every mention of the Goyim with cattle. So he explicitly uh. replaces, uh, he takes the, the, the very, the text of the protocols and replaces Jews with aliens. Yeah. So I'm just picturing that X-Files poster and it says like, you know, the truth is out there, but instead of a little flying saucer, it's just a star of David. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or it's a hovering yarmulke. Also, also important, uh, important to note, Jews and aliens, both shapeshifters. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, that's, that's, see, the intersection there is David uh, Ike. Yes, yes, you're right. He is, he talks, his aliens are specifically reptile shapeshifters. Yeah, reptilians. And he has been accused of just talking about Jews when he says that. (laughs) The previous segment we just did was kind of an attempt to define what an extremist movement might be. And one of the definitions involves, or at least part of the definition involves, really having a clear in-group and out-group. And this this fits with that, you know, when, you, when you're when you no longer able to really draw a black and white line between you and Jewish people because it just turns out you're both human beings. Hells yeah, aliens come in. They're so different. They come from a different planet. You know, Israel. <laughs> Could you explain what Manifest Destiny is and how it's informed the new crop of fascist thinkers like our poor boy, uh, Paul Joseph Watson, who just got, you know... Uh, called uh, who just got uh, shouted out by the president, but also also lost a couple platforms. I want to shout out uh, Greg Grandin, uh, who's a great uh, Latin American historian who has a new book that I'm reading right now called uh, The End of the Myths that talks about borders and frontiers in American uh, and Western, well, specifically in American thinking. And uh, his basic thesis is, is that the the concept of the frontier in American history has been there to vent social steam since the time of the colonies and that what we're seeing now is a the final solidification of an understanding that there is no board there's no frontier anymore there is no expansion there can be no social valve uh there's only the opposite of that there's now a hard fixed concept of america that is now being having sort of a reverse manifest destiny in which the 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 lesser peoples who we had been subjugating and pushing out for 300 and 400 years are now pressing back uh, against and back and coming back in and undermining from within and that our social order can't withstand that because of the fact that our social uh, conflicts and contradictions can't be resolved through expansion anymore. And and so Manifest Destiny, just to clarify, was the idea that uh, white people... Um, you know, had a kind of role of of bringing culture, civilization to the savage, to the other. Am I getting that a little yeah, wrong? Yeah, and, and, and importantly, taking their uh, territory, uh, expanding the domain of white settlement as far as possible. Right, that makes sense. Uh, can you tell us how the gamification of conspiracy theories in movements like Pizzagate and QAnon has changed the effects of conspiracy theories on the American population? Because in the past... Like you said, it was either, you know, like an active violent role or like, you know, the lazy boy conspiracy uh, style. But but it's kind of new that you get to interact, even if it's in a cursory aesthetic way online. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, what it is, is I think well, the way I would guess to think of it is, is that the Internet really just because I think, like I said, in, in conspiracy theorizing is inherently passive. It's inherently cons- speculative, spectative. Uh, and speculative, but that that's not the, I mean, if you want to argue that ga- video games are sort of the 
uh, a technological were technologically the next step in entertainment in terms of moving from spectation to uh, engage to actual uh, interactivity. And those were only made possible by the technological innovations of video gaming. The same thing is true with conspiracy theories. The technological innovation of the internet is now giving conspiracy theories its final form, which is a situation where you're not just spectating, you're not just putting the pieces together in your own head, you are then sharing, you are then interacting with the plan uh, online in a way that would have been technologically impossible in an earlier era. Right. And, and what's also changed is the multiplication of internet sources. And there's like the citizen researcher now kind of is a concept and, and role you can play. And so what do you think that has done as well to kind of change conspiracy theorizing? I think it's making it more appealing. I think it's making it more, uh, I think it's going to become the dominant way people talk about politics uh, as we move forward, as, as pressure becomes greater, as, as the miseration increases, as paranoia uh, increases, as atomization, social atomization increases. Uh, our, our ability to interact with a stream of YouTube videos that all give us different explanations, which have a totally flattened in our minds, uh, a totally flattened media terrain where all inputs are basically equal. Uh, we give them equal weight psychologically. Uh, and then the ability to transmit our own responses to them instantaneously. Uh, that's only going to become more uh, addictive, more seductive as a way of understanding the world. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you have a, a specific love for 90s conspiracy theories, and that's around when you describe the aliens emerging. Is there any you know conspiracy theory that stands out to you that might be your favorite? I think that there's a guy, his name was, I'm trying to remember his name. His name was Bob. Uh, he used to call into uh, Art Bell's show. Uh, his name was Bob Lazar. Oh, yeah. And if I've you heard of him. check out his claims about what he saw working at uh, Area 51, it'll put hair on your uh, chest, that's for sure. That's right, uh, citizen journalists out there. It's your turn to do your part of the fucking business and get out there and research Bob Lazar. There's also um, this dude, Phil Schneider, who we, we covered a, a couple weeks ago on an episode. Um, who claims that he engaged in a firefight with uh, hundreds of gray aliens uh, in in the uh, underground base at uh, the Dolce uh, Dolce Air Force Base, New Mexico? Uh, that is also another exquisite '90s uh, conspiracy theory. But I mean, Schneider's stuff is ridiculous, and in general, we just cast this stuff aside and go, you know, on face value, that seems just too out there. But the frogs are gay thing that Alex Jones has brought up, which universally derided as something false and ridiculous, but you're saying that there might be a grain of truth which makes this a little more problematic. What is it's that? It's the kind of thing that frustrates me about conspiracy theories because it, it really does move, it does mystify things and it does move people away from the truth. What he's talking about is that there is a herbicide called atrazine and, if it, and it has been shown in a number of papers to have a mutagenic effect on the, the uh, sex expression of certain frog species. Like they, uh, they be, like become hermaphroditic or they change sex or they become sterile. Uh, and that's a real thing. And it's a real byproduct of, of, uh, of this, you know, rapacious capitalist exploitation of the natural realm. The, the, and, it's, and it's pretty easily understood that this is a product it gives you higher crop yield. It reduces loss to uh, pests. Uh, yeah, it also fucks up the ecosystem and uh, destroys keystone species. But that's not your problem. 
That's an externality. That's not priced by the market. Who gives a shit? So that is a, that's a perfect example of capitalism making it harder literally to live on this fucking planet. Uh, but he turns it into they're making the frogs gay as if there's some group of people who want to turn frogs gay using some magical chemical <laughs> that presumably he, they also want to turn on you to make you gay or make your kids gay. Why? <laughs> because they hate seeing straight people hold hands in public or something. Some uh, just obscure, un, unconceivable, inconceivable social agenda that leads you off into into the stratosphere, either into like the depths of the protocols or uh, or like the, the 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 ice realm of the reptilians or whatever. Whereas you have a real phenomenon with a real explanation, sit it staring you right in the face. So battle toads, but they fuck your ass. Yes. Fucked by the Battletoads. Now that Chapo uh, has accepted that, you know, they are turning the frogs gay and that you're screaming about it all the time, are you going to hire Kent State Gun Girl? <laughs> no, uh, I would want someone... I, she'd need to do something about that hair. <laughs> it's, just, it's, a, it's ridiculous. Okay, so... Run a cur- do something to that. Let's play much. a game then. Who, who of the guests and uh, correspondents on InfoWars would Chapo hire? I mean, I'd like to hire Paul Joseph Watson just to make him read things off of a card that I made him say. <laughs> I enjoy the taste of human poop. It's fantastically <laughs> delicious and nutritious. With his stupid baby sing-song voice like he's talking to a five-year-old. Not normal. <laughs> so uh, you heard you heard it here, Paul. I know he's a listener. Uh, hit up Chapo because you got a job lined up, friend. So speaking of Chapo, what is cracking in Chapo world? Is there anything you'd like to tease? The 16th, I'm going to be, me and Will, are, and I think maybe Amber, are going to be at the Egyptian Theater in L.A. We're going to be presenting Gremlins 2 and then have a Q&A with Joe Dante, oh uh, my the director God. of that brilliant visionary film, which I'm very excited about. And then in June, we're going to be doing a European tour. Some of the dates are still available. We'll be going from Berlin, London, Glasgow, Manchester, Dublin. And those dates are available at uh, the ChapoTrapHouse.com tour website. Awesome. Fantastic. Man. Well, guess what? We are in L.A. and we will definitely see yeah, you at the will, Egyptian Theater. Yeah, we will see you at Gremlins too. Hell oh, yeah. cool. Great. Can't wait to meet you guys. Hell awesome. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Cushbomb, C-U-S-H-B-O-M-B. Uh, you should definitely go listen to his podcast, Chapo Trap House, which is available on all the usual apps. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug, Matt? I'm good. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. You've been listening to the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Our Twitters are at QAnon Anonymous, at Travis underscore View, at Julian Field, F-E-E-L-D, and at Real Rockatansky. We refuse to allow corporate advertisement on our show. That's why we gate our second weekly episode behind a $5 a month subscription. So please visit patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for five bucks a month to get access to a weekly premium episode. Plus all the ones we've already recorded, which is like a bunch. What do we have? We've got how many already? I, I, I stopped writing that in because I realized that if you're listening to this like way later in our process, it'll be more. But right now we currently have over 20. That's like 20 hours of content. That's like a triple A RPG worth of content. Some of them are two hours long, so probably more. Anyways, look, the faster we grow, the closer we can get to making more varied content for you guys, which is what all three of us 
definitely want to do with the rest of our lives. Uh, Travis just wants to spend more time with his family and have uh, a good shut life. Shut the fuck up. Everybody's <laughs> family. Support the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy. It's fact. And now, today's auto cue. I confronted Congress, and when Jack Dorsey was testifying in September, and I begged President Trump, I begged him to do something before it was too late. And that was when I still had access to my uh, my my Twitter account, right? But I was mocked, right? Look at that asshole, Billy Long, in Congress, who decided to do an auction call over. It's mocked me and called me crazy, but what are they doing? I want to know what people are actually going to do. My life is ruined. Does anybody understand how ruined my life is? I'm sick of it. I don't want to listen to people tell me that I'm a conspiracy theorist. They don't know what it's like to be me. My life is ruined, Alex. See him in my teeth.